Let me think of that. Um, in the summer heat, um, it's always nice to have a drink from a hose. But we have a saying that you never want to try and drink from a fire hose. I tried to look and find this poor dog trying to drink out of the fire hose. Um, there's a little too much of a good thing at that point. I've never tried. I really don't want to try. I watch fire hoses blow rioters across the street and think, I really don't think I want to drink out of that. I wanted to talk about the fire hose because we are experiencing a fire hose, not of water, but of information. And that was really the request that came for the sermon today as we wind down our summer sermons We are facing a fire hose of information. Um, In all forms of media, we are just being inundated with all kinds of information. Without any filtering, and that's one of the big things that is promoted about the internet, is there's no filtering. You get it all, good and bad, and we certainly see that. We had an example of that this week. As terrorists posted video of an American reporter being beheaded. And apparently that was able to be found on the internet and watched. And I've heard an interesting discussion by one reporter. And the reporter was saying, we now have the possibility to see anything. So the discussion is no longer, can we see it? The discussion is now, should we see it? And she talked about, we now have a choice, do we choose to watch this? And that goes for so much on the internet. And she summarized her whole discussion with this statement at the end, we now face a moral choice of what we will watch. And I thought that was pretty perceptive. But as Christians, I would like to take that one step further. I think we face a spiritual choice of what we will watch. That it's not just a moral issue. For us as Christians, it becomes a spiritual issue as well. There are implications as we make decisions in this information age. There are implications that are not only moral... They're spiritual. They affect our spiritual lives as we face this fire hose and have to decide what we are going to do with that. Part of the reason it's important is that we as humans are, and I couldn't come up with a good word for this. It frustrated me all week. Changeable. We are impressionable. The jury's out every day for each of us. We can be influenced for good or bad, and we can't escape that. It's not like we can get a tattoo on our arm that says, I am good, and therefore we will always choose the good thing. And we can decide today and make a good choice, but guess what? Tomorrow we have to choose all over again. And an hour later we have to choose all over again, and the reality is, We are always wrestling with these choices because we somehow never get to move beyond and say, I'm just always good. 
there's always that risk there. And that's why I said this is a spiritual decision. What we do in the face of this fire hose. Because the reality is there is a battle going on inside us. To influence who we are. To influence our thinking. To influence our hearts. Solomon offers two Proverbs for us. In, in Proverbs 4.23, he says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. And in verse 23.7, out of the King James, he says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. <clears throat> the reality is that there is that thing inside us. Solomon calls it our heart. It's our emotions, it's our mind, it's, it's who we are on the inside. And that affects what we do. It affects who we are, how we behave, the choices we make, our values, our language, our relationships, how we work, everything. And the problem is that which is inside us, that heart, can be influenced for good or bad. And that's why Solomon says, you need to guard it. You need to protect your heart because if you don't, bad influences will come in. And then you'll start thinking wrong thoughts. Your heart will be affected and that's who you will become. That's how you'll start acting. We're left with that challenge. And I don't, I don't want to sound like this old man up here, but I'm old enough to remember when in many ways most of the influences that flooded us were basically moral and good. If you're old enough, you remember that. What was put in the news, what was in the newspaper, the books that were available in the library, what was available in the drugstore to buy. I remember one time going into a magazine store and there was literally a fence of chicken wire and a wood door. And mom said, never mind what's back behind the door. Well, what was behind that door when I was little is now in Super America as I check out. And it's on the internet. And it's everywhere. And we can't run away. I know we want to. It's not going away. And we're not ready to abandon our smartphones and the internet because it brings with it a lot of good as well. And we're not going to go back. But so that means we are left with this new situation that the fire hose coming at us carries as much evil as it does good. And it carries good as much as evil. And so now we are left with this new struggle of how do you guard your heart today? In the information age, what does that look like? Short of becoming Amish and just turning off the electricity and, and trying to turn black the clock a hundred years, what do we do? How do we wrestle with that? Part of the challenge for us today is not only the information age, but we live in a culture that has changed. 
the mantra today is that truth is subjective. Our culture has said to us and repeatedly says to us, there is no such thing as right and wrong anymore. Truth is subjective. You have to choose what is true for you. And it's very politically correct to say we each must choose our own truth. And for a left brain kind of person, it's like, really? I thought truth was based on reality. I thought truth was based on facts. But despite that debate, which I'll just leave and walk away from, it actually is a pretty accurate statement. In one sense, our culture is right. We each have to choose our truth. We each have to choose who we will believe. We each have to choose what path we will walk. We each have to choose what values we will hold on to. What will be important to us. What will be an authority in our life. We each have to choose that. And we are seeing people all around us making other choices. And so there is a sense in which we are each choosing our own truth. Paul talks a lot about this, and we're going to read from Ephesians 4, because in Ephesians 4, he talks about, in a sense, the two choices we can make about what is true for us and how we will live. First, I want to read from Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18, and keep your finger there, because we're going to come back to chapter 4. But first, he talks about those who choose to not walk with God, but choose a truth for their lives that is other than God. And he's talking to a lot of the Christians because he says, you used to live that way before you became a Christian. So 17 and 18, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles, put in there, as not God's people, no longer live as those who are not God's people, in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What Paul is saying here, and he's going to talk some more about it, is we need to face the fact there is a clear choice as Christians. There are two paths. There is the path the world chooses to follow. And there is God's path. And part of what we are seeing in our culture today is the reality that those two paths are getting more distinct and more separate and more clearly different. And maybe they were fuzzy a hundred years ago, but no longer. And Paul says there was a path you used to walk on that people who are not God's people walk on. And you need to see that path for what it is and Don't walk on it any longer. Those two paths are obvious. That who's going to believe in the truth. Paul says those who walk without God, their, their thinking is futile. It doesn't work. It breaks down. If you follow their thinking out somewhere, there's a train wreck. Because that futile thinking is a dead end. It's based on opinions. And we see that, don't we? 
what is truth from the world's perspective, it changes about every year. We hear, this is true, this is what you should follow, and two years later, oh, no, no, we figured something out, now change all that. Now this is true. And whether that's how to build a family or how to work in your business or, or whatever is important in life, it's constantly changing because it doesn't work. And after a while, that becomes obvious. Paul also says it's darkened. It produces evil. And it's so darkened at times, it even says that evil is good. And we see that today. In all kinds of behaviors that are being promoted, and we stand back and we say, that's sick. That's wrong. Because, Paul ultimately says, they're separated from God. The source of truth, the source of goodness. And they reject the Bible and God's truth. Paul compares that with our need to follow the truth from the Creator based on facts and truth because He created us and based on His Word because it holds truth that is always true and it won't change in five years. New research will not disprove it. It hasn't for 3,000, 4,000 years. Truth from a God who loves us. And so the reality is we face today, as Christians have always faced, but it's becoming more distinct and more apparent, we face the reality of two paths, and those paths are opposite. We can't do both. And how do we guard our hearts? We guard our hearts by saying, I consciously want to walk God's path, and I want to find out what that path is. And whenever that path is different from the world's path, I'm going to choose God's path. That's how I guard my heart. That's what becomes the filter, is first of all saying there are two paths. And I cannot just blindly accept anything that comes out of the fire hose. Because some of what I'm being inundated with today is wrong. It's darkened. It's futile. It's far from God, and we have to face that and realize we are stuck with a choice between two paths. And we have to be intentional about that. We go back to to me with Ephesians 4, and I want to read verses 20 through 24. So he has talked about how the people live without God in the world. We read those verses. Now pick up with verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. As Christians, we have been taught there is a different path. And it's very different from the path those without God have. So what were we taught? Paul continues, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our minds, guard your heart, your mind is your heart, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness 
and holiness. There's two terms there that Paul uses that Christians have focused on often because they're so helpful. There are certain things we need to put off. It's the language of clothing. It's the language of taking off a shirt and throwing it down. It's dirty. It needs to go in the wash. I'm not wearing it anymore. And there's the language of saying, this I want to put on. This is a new shirt. It's clean. It smells fresh. It looks nice. I want to wear this. And Paul says the challenge for us as Christians is there are certain things, even from our own past, as well as from the world we've come from, that we need to now identify and say, these things I need to put off, not wear anymore. There's things I could see that I'm not going to watch. There's choices I'm going to make that I'm not going to make. There's, there's language that I may have spoken that I'm not going to speak. There's habits that I had that I'm not going to follow anymore. Whatever those might be, and it's not just a putting off. The good news is that in Christ, there's a new things we get to put on that are better. And that are more fulfilling and that aren't futile. They're not dead ends. They don't hurt. They're good. And if we put these on, we'll, we don't have to regret that. We never will. And that that whole process of putting off and putting on is how we guard our hearts. I uh, have to confess with you, I uh, made a drastic right turn in the sermon on Friday as I was finishing it. I sort of work on and off all week on the sermon. It's how I do it. It works for me. And then Friday morning, if any of you have tried to meet with me on Friday morning, that's pretty hard to do because Friday morning is when I take all this and I ask God to help me sort it out and throw out and keep, etc., and I was doing all of that Friday morning, and I had this nice, neat direction for this point now, how we take it home in the sermon. And I'll tell you what that was, because it's my personality. I had a list I, in my Bible program I can save verses. And by this point on Friday, I probably had 30 different verses saved for this sermon. And I thought, okay, we're going to hit the key ones, and I can give these people a list of ten things we can go home and do to guard our hearts. And some of you are nodding your head and saying, give them to me, come on. What are they? But my goal is to be helpful in sermons and not create a sense of defeat or guilt. And I realize that though there are some of us who like that list of ten things, there are others who would say, great, ten more things I can't do. Ten more ways I'll fail. I don't need that. And you're right, you don't. And the truth is, for those of us who like our list of ten, the reality is on a really good week we'll do five. And I felt like God impressed on my heart, there's an easier way to do this. There really is. There's an easier way to guard our hearts. There's an easier way to handle this fire hose. 
And I'm going to tell it to you, but as soon as I do, I need to warn you, it's a cliche, and I don't want you to shut me down because it's a cliche. But the easier answer for how we guard our hearts, how we figure this out, it's Jesus. That's it. It's Jesus. Paul said it. He's given us an example. Be like Jesus. Jesus himself said it. Matthew 11. You know this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we all probably in this room, or at least most of us, are at a point where we would say whatever the Bible says is true. Whatever Jesus says is true. But I think a lot of us don't really believe him in these verses. And here's what I mean. I think a lot of us really believe that, boy, if you do it Jesus' way, it's way tougher. The way we're doing it's easier. It, boy, doing Jesus, that's, that's ramping it up. That's harder. That's not what he says. What he says is, if you'll follow me, it's actually going to be an easier way to live life. Life is going to work. It's going to run smoother if you just follow me and learn from me. I think he's right. Because he's God, because he is the only human who has ever lived as God and knows how to make life work in this world as a human. How do we handle life? Follow Jesus. Not just as a cliche we sing in a song on, in worship, but to really say, I want to take that into my week. I want to take that into my day. As I have to go out this week into this crazy world, I want to think about how would Jesus do that? I want to follow him. It is a path to walk, the path Jesus walks. How do you handle the internet? Well, how would Jesus handle it? He'd learn some things. He'd appreciate some things. He'd use it as a resource, and there's some places he wouldn't go. No doubt. There's some sites he wouldn't visit, some things he wouldn't watch. I don't even have to question that. I know what he'd do. And I think most of us do too. Follow Jesus. How do we handle all of the news? Well, how would Jesus react to it? Follow Jesus. It isn't a cliche. It really is a way to live. Because we know enough about him. We have four biographies about him. We know enough about him in most situations. I think we got a pretty good clue. And where we don't, that's part of why the church is here, that we could sit around and say, what do you think Jesus would do with this? 
There's nothing in the four Gospels about this. How do you think he'd handle it? And I think collectively we'd come up with a pretty good answer with prayer and the guidance of the Spirit. You see, it's not a cliche. It really is a way to live. And that is a far easier thing for me to offer you and an easier thing for you to do than for me to give you a list of ten things. Ten boxes to check. And part of what I realized was as I was changing the sermon, ten boxes to check are exactly what the Pharisees were experts in. And checking boxes never produce life. Following Jesus is what produced life. Because here's the great good news, and we looked at this last week. Jesus isn't a historical figure who's dead. He is a living Lord. And he wants to walk with you through your week. He is available to talk to any day, any moment, at work, in the car, on, in front of the computer. You can talk to him. We don't just need to rely on what we know about him. We can rely on him. Because we can talk to him. You see, it'd be one thing to say, I read everything Vince Lombardi ever wrote about football. It'd be another thing to say, he's my coach. And I'm talking to him today. With all of his wisdom and knowledge, I'm talking to him today. And he's helping me learn to play football. Any football player worth his salt would give his left arm for that. We have an even better coach in a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived life and proved how to win it. And he wants to be with us as we live this life to help us figure out how we guard our hearts so this fire hose of information doesn't drag us down, doesn't corrupt us, doesn't destroy us. He will help us overcome that and live as his children. I've just told you where we're going this fall. Uh, God has again been working, I hope, I pray, I believe, in planning the fall. And just like that last point in the sermon, I had my plans ready and we're going to do this and this and this. And through prayer and just some prompting of God, I, he pointed me in a different direction. And we're going to talk about what does that mean to follow Jesus? Because it's more than just making a decision, walking forward, praying a prayer. It's more than just being baptized. It's more than a one-time thing. This following Jesus changes everything. And we're going to look at that. And there's two books that have really influenced me as I've tried to think through all this. And I want you to come with me. And if you like to read, there they are. Follow me. They're in the notes. Follow me by David Platt and Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. They're great books. They're very popular in the Christian circles. Because they're really great books that make us wrestle with 
What does that mean to follow Jesus? And you see, part of what they're going to say and why I want us to wrestle with that is a lot of us just get a little bit of Jesus. It's almost an inoculation. And we wonder why our lives aren't radically new. And maybe it's because we're not really following him all the way. And that's what we're going to wrestle with this fall. What does that mean to not just make a decision, but to live our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ? I think we'll see that every one of us will be radically changed. That the book, uh, David Platt has written another book, Radical, that's very popular. And the whole premise of the title is if we just live like we're really following Jesus, we will be seen as radical people. And I think he's right. But Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. And that's not just a cliche. It's the truth. And if we will follow Jesus, we can handle the internet, we can handle life, we can handle the challenges, because he is God. And he's alive today. And just as much as he did a bunch of fishermen, he says to every one of us, come follow me. My yoke is light and my burden is easy and you will find rest for your soul. So I hope you'll come with us. I hope you'll follow Jesus. Let's pray.